know, we're almost at the point where you can just swear on anything, live broadcast, whatever. I, I heard that there's a study, or a survey, survey, not a study. I don't think they study these things. That only 14% of North Americans don't swear in the home. Pretty low number, right? And so some of these places, you know, the narcs that don't want you to swear. There's some guy right now listening to this going, like, you better not, better not do it, bunk. I'm like, oh, someday, buddy, someday it's coming down the pipe. Um, it's hard not to swear when talking about the Buffalo Bills right now and what you're seeing with Josh Allen and what you're seeing with Stephon Diggs and what happened last night with those two football teams. Um, holy Mared, does that work? How's that for right now? That was lights out. I didn't think that the Titans were going to really hang around that game, but they beat the Bills the last two games that they played each other in the regular season. And there was a little bit of talk of, hey, Buffalo is not exactly designed to be at their best against the Tennessee Titans. This is going to be a growing step for Buffalo. We're going to have to see what happens with Buffalo. Of course, you know, I said I liked Diggs yesterday, you know, throw a little duck it down, a little mile, three touchdowns is okay. That's all right. This is one way to win a bet. Um, but that didn't, that sure didn't look like a test. That just looks like the same Buffalo Bills that we've seen for what, the last five, six performances stretching back to the playoffs last year? Like they are unbelievably dominant right now. The pass rush looks to be completely rejuvenated and rebuilt. Bills are missing a bunch of guys. Like, that isn't a fully healthy team. And it doesn't matter because they've got a quarterback who looks like one of the best two on the planet right now. Jalen Hurts, he goes in the nightcap. And, and I'm going to talk about the Eagles a little bit later with Matt Castle. They were phenomenal as well. The Eagles definitely right now, after two weeks, if we're doing the NFC power rankings, I think that they've looked like the best NFC team. They look the most complete, although you beat Kirk Cousins in primetime. So I am going to chill on it just a, a touch. Just a touch. But here's what I'll say about Josh Allen. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody play the quarterback position better than what I've seen from him stretching back to last year's postseason. I'm not saying he's the best. I've seen Aaron Rodgers play as good as that. I've seen Tom Brady play as good as that. I've seen Peyton Manning play as good as that. I've seen different quarterbacks hit that level. But Josh Allen, the, the level that he is on right now is, like I said, it's hard not to swear. It's hard not to swear because those are the things that you text your friends when you're watching Josh Allen right now. It's holy that. Can you bleep and believe that? That's the only way to describe what Josh Allen's doing right now. And I'll tell you this. This is what it reminds me of. And again, we have Matt Castle later today, and I can't wait to pick his brain about this. This feels like a little bit of, and I don't mean to get too ahead of myself, but this is just how I feel. And this is how I felt last night. And it was my first thought when I woke up this morning. The Allen Mahomes thing that's happening right now with these two guys playing the way they are, it, it reminds me a little bit of Brady Manning, where you just couldn't wait for those two teams to play each other. You were already projecting to the postseason, and you knew there was going to be a, a Monday night or a Sunday night football game where those two teams were going to meet, and the whole world was going to stop to watch the two of them. And if, if Josh Allen keeps going this way, because I think that we can put it down in pen that Mahomes is, and quite honestly, I don't know what would lead you to doubt Josh Allen at this point, again, the dude is a mutant. He's nailing everything. He's, <laughs> he was the most efficient runner in football last year, quarterback and running back. He's improved the accuracy. He's got incredible arm strength. He's got unbelievable poise, feel for the moment, a receiver that he's got a one-of-one -one connection with. 
an offensive line that's protecting him well. I don't know how you can nitpick it, but that's how I feel. We're, we're getting within that range. We're another classic game between the two of those guys. Another great stretch of play from the two of those guys to, to having it where every single fan of every single fan base circles the calendar every year looking for when do those two teams play. Um, Dan Shulman's guy, Aaron Rodgers, never really had a guy like that to go against. No, it's no shade to Aaron Rodgers. It's like he got... It's kind of like the, the Kobe Bryant thing. Dan Shulman, Blue Jays voice. Good morning. Um, yeah, who, was, who do you consider to be Aaron Rodgers' greatest rival? Is it Brady? Well, except that we always lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's you gotta, I don't know. You got to win. You, know? you got to win. Yeah, you got to win once in a while to make it a rivalry. So I, I don't know who it would be. Um, yeah. That's a good question. So I do know the Packers play the Bills October the 30th, I mm. believe something like that, which is kind of amazing and cool and fun. And uh, I won't be able to go to the game. I would love to go to the game, but that'll be, that'll be fun. I, I don't know. Um, you know, his greatest rival might've been Mike McCarthy, the first eight or yeah. 10 years with the play calling, you know, yeah. that worked against him a lot. Yeah. So I think his greatest rivals have been internal sometimes. So. Yeah. Himself. <laughs> he he's battles himself. Like that's Aaron Rodgers' thing. Uh, I, how are you feeling about the Packers, by the way, before we jump into some, some Jay stuff? Because week one was ugly, but now yeah. you see week two with the Vikings and you go, oh, maybe they beat our team because we didn't have a left tackle and our top receiver. And yeah, right. it's just one of those weird games because it still to me looked like after two weeks that the, it, the NFC either goes through now the Eagles or the Packers. Yeah, I didn't see any of week one. Um, uh, knew enough about it, just didn't have time with Blue Jays and all that. Did watch week two and thought it was like a nice, efficient win over a team that's getting better, but isn't as good as the Packers yet. And what I loved is uh, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Like it's got to start with those guys this year. And in a crazy sort, like obviously you'd rather them have Devontae Adams still, but in a crazy sort of way, I love the fact when nine different guys catch passes from Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, because He's obviously good enough to go to option two, option three, option four, if option one's not there. But there were times, I think, when Devontae Adams was option one, two, three, and four. And he's, listen, he's as good a receiver as there is in the league. But I, you know, Cobb had some big catches. Watkins had some big catches. Um, the two rookies got involved a little bit. And obviously the running backs are, are heavily. In. And, uh, and uh, Tanyan caught a couple of passes, too, I think. So, um, they they kind of always start slow and figure out who they are, but getting Jenkins back on the line helped. Hopefully, Bakhtiari's back at some point. And I think this team is more likely to win games, you know, twenty-one to thirteen this year than thirty-five, thirty-one. Yeah. So, um, and I think they can be good. Are they good enough to get all? To, you know, to get there? Who knows? A rash will tell me about that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's probably quiet today. He's probably <laughs> yeah. just, you know, he's probably yeah. waking up late, not checking his phone. You know, yeah. it's, it's one yeah. of those mornings we've all been there. Yeah. I like, I like the Packers. They're definitely one of those teams where it's a, yeah, we'll talk about them in December. You know, it's just, it, I, I can't overreact to a week one loss for a Packers team. And it had to feel at least a little good for you. Not like you're that you're this kind of guy. Maybe this is just speaks to me as a sports fan, but had to feel okay. Watching Devonte Adams also go Owen two and only catch one ball or two balls for 12 yards I, on Sunday. Too. I'm not like that. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I am not like that at all, but you, you know what I was just thinking about, you know, who yeah. the Packers kind of are, they're kind of the Leafs. Like when you said, we'll talk about them in December, mm. they're kind of the Leafs. Like yeah. if, if the Packers go 14 and three this year, nobody outside of Packer fans is going to care. They're all going to say, show me in the playoffs. Right. And, and, 
to me, I, I mean, the, you know, Rodgers is at a different point of his career than Matthews and Marner are, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's like regular, regular season success isn't that meaningful for most people now because there have been letdowns in the playoffs, kind of like the league. So, um, you know, li- like you said, li- let's check back when the weather gets cool. I really like the parallel, especially between, like, Rodgers and Matthews right now. Here's the only issue I have with it is everybody who loses or comes up short right now, every people always like, it's kind of like the Leafs, you know? They stink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they lose. And you're like, right, that's what they're yeah. synonymous with now. <laughs> so to the point where anybody who loses, the first thought people link them to is the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's like, you know, know the greatest right. losers, the losers who lose all the time, and you go, oh, yeah, that right, that makes sense. Like, last yeah. year it was the Sixers. Oh, you know who reminds me of the Leafs is the Sixers. And I went, yeah, that definitely makes sense. We've had the Knicks. We've had a lot of teams where uh, the Leafs get dunked on. I'm, that's tomorrow. I can't believe that that season is already back. But I, I know. I, I'm, I'm going to be distracted. And it's wild because I was talking about this with a friend the other day. There's not a ton of buzz heading into the Leafs season this year. It's just been very quiet at this point of the year. And I think that some of it is just the the state of the fan base right now where it's really hard to get excited before the playoffs and uh, people are kind of at each other's throat. It's almost like politics right now when you talk Leafs with people. People are in like their own divided camp and they don't want to come out of it until something ends up changing. But a big part of it is this Blue Jays run, right? Like they've been in this for quite some time. They've been unbelievably engaging. Um, There's been ups, there's been downs, highs, lows. There's been feeling like they're going to miss the wild card, be the top seed in the wild card. Maybe they're going to catch the Yankees, Bo Bichette getting hot. They're 11-5 and five this month, and I think that they, well, everybody should believe that they should be 12-4. and four. That's a fluke that Romano ends up blowing a save. That's, he's one of the best relievers in all of baseball. It feels to me, and I can't tell if this is confirmation bias, like they're playing more mature ball. They've won 10 of those 11 games by four or fewer runs, and it, again, should have been 11 if not for a freak incident. Are you seeing a team that's growing up or is that too big of a leap to be making right now before the playoffs? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they're not blowing people out. So when, you know, there hasn't been quite as much, um, you know, energy and, and uh, some of the crazy stuff down in the bar, you know, at the end of the, you know, at the end of the dugout and all that. But that's the kind of stuff when they're beating people 12 to two is when you really see a lot of it. They haven't been beating people 12 to two. Like you said, a lot of them have been close games. Like they're, they are still a, a, a very good offensive team, but the blowouts haven't happened as much. More of the games have been meat grinders this year, in my opinion, than last year. I don't know off the top of my head how many one-run games last year and how many one-run games this year, but it sure feels like there have been more one- and two-run games this year than last year. Um, I, I think they are more mature as a group. I mean, listen, they went through a very difficult 162-game season last year from Dunedin to Buffalo to Toronto and missed the playoffs by one game. Like, if that doesn't change your perspective a little bit on what you have to do going into the next season, I I, I don't know what would. So, you know, and they've also added more veterans. They didn't have Matt. They had Marcus Simeon, but they've added Matt Chapman. Um, They've added Kevin Gosman. They've added Jimmy Garcia. They've brought back Anthony Bass. They've got more grown-ups in the room now than they had last year. So, yeah, I, I do think they're continuing to evolve as a group. And, and I think since the Angel series, which was as ugly a series as a series can be, I think they've played, by and large, good, smart, focused baseball uh, for a, a pretty long stretch. I don't know how long that's been now, two and a half, three weeks, whatever it's been. So, um, 
Yeah, is it a month? Okay, so um, that series felt like a month, but um, I I, I think they have. I I think the lapses have been few and far between. The execution has been better. The attention to detail has been better, and and so on and so forth. And, you know, they'll win one game with their bats, but really they're winning with their arms more than their bats, in my opinion, at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think their defense has been much cleaner. Like, that was one of the big problems in the Angels series, obviously, was the defense was ugly. Um, and I think the defense has been much cleaner. They're playing. They're playing well. They're they're beating pretty good. Like they just went five and three against Tampa Bay and Baltimore. That's yeah. there's nothing. That's there's no shame in that. They had a good week, you know, with really three bullpen days in there. Right, three of the eight were were bullpen games, and and they're um, and and they went five and three, and they're they've put themselves in good position. Um, I, I thought there were times earlier this year where they were winning games but not playing great, but I think they're playing well right now. And, and um, you know, like Teoscar's cold, Lourdes Goriel's out, Kirk hasn't played in a few days. They basically have a four-man rotation, and they're still figuring it out. They're finding a way to win games, and I think a lot of that has to do with, again, focusing in attention to detail. And I think John Schneider deserves a lot of credit for that as well. I think he's excellent at reading the room and knowing what message needs to be delivered. See, that that last thing you said, that's exactly how I feel. I love a team that is versatile and finds other ways to win in across all sports, where there's, there's just not one way to do it. And that's how I felt about the Jays recently, and that's what I'm kind of linking to this maturity. Because, yeah, I think that oftentimes people misconstrue putting a home run jacket on as, oh, these guys grow up. You're up in a big ball game. It's like this is the dumbest take that's ever happened in the history of sports. Every single team does it. And the Jays do it, and for whatever reason, it's a bugaboo with, like, a section of the fan base. Yeah, the stuff in the barrio, those guys are just having fun. I really don't care about that stuff. Water. Um, jug celebrations, none of those things bother me, right? It's on the field, what do I see? And it's those defensive lapses, and it's tightening up in tight ball games and ha- coming up with boats, big clutch hits and having guys deliver in, yeah, big moments. And that's what I've seen. Like, normally you try to judge a team by the run differential, right? How big are they blowing teams out? But the reason why I brought up that, you know, the 10 of the 11 wins this month have been four or fewer is because it doesn't feel like they're just one-dimensional. It hasn't just been, okay, well, the bats are destroying. They're they're red hot. Or the starting pitching has been so great that, of course, they're overcoming everybody. Like, you felt little pieces of everybody throughout these wins, and that, to me, feels like a group that is growing up together, especially against some of the competition. They've done it again, as you mentioned as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think it started, oddly enough, in Pittsburgh, of all places. Like, they, yeah. they, they were terrible against the Angels. They won two out of three against the Cubs. But I didn't think they played great against the Cubs. Then they went to Pittsburgh, and all three of those games were nail-biters. They won 4 to nothing, 4-1, to one, and 4-3. to three. But the first two were closer. If you remember the second game, the 4-1 to one game, yep. was 1-1 one, one in, like, the eighth inning or something. And they were 0 for whatever with runners in scoring position. You know, that was the talk again. 0 for 9 had left a bunch of men on, whatever it was. And that's the night Bobichette hit the three-run double. Mm-hmm. Um, he hit a two-run homer, I think, in the first game. It was a 2 to nothing game, I think. And he homered to extend the lead. And then he hit the three-run double in, in the middle game to break a 1-1 tie. I think it was in the eighth inning. And then they win the third game by one run. And I think that's the game where Romano put a couple of men on and then struck out three in a row yeah, to was. end the game. Those three games, and I know it's Pittsburgh, but those three games felt like playoff games. And I think that's when they, you know, if you want to talk whatever phrase you want to use growing up or or take more seriously, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's to me when they realized and started showing that they realized every game is a playoff game the rest of the way. Every game matters the rest of the way. 
um, because then they went to Baltimore and they played well. And then they went to Texas. And in my opinion, they played well and they continued it on the homestand. And they're not, you know, they haven't won 11 in a row, but they're winning two out of three, three out of four, three out of five in the race. They're winning every series, every single series. And, and I think it started in Pittsburgh and, and those games were serious <laughs> and um, they could have lost all three or easily lost two out of three, but some big plays and timely moments. Um, and, and again, I know we talk a lot about the offense, but the pitching's been really good, and the bullpen has been really good. And the top four starters, even Barrios, is kind of bobbing and weaving his way through starts right now, five and two-thirds, six, two runs, that that sort of thing. Their record when those top four guys start a game is off the charts. Um, you know, they're, they're playing well. They, could they use a little more here, a little more there? Of course, like a lot of teams. But they put themselves in a great spot to make the playoffs. Now we got to find out if they got enough to get home field. It's, it's, it's going to be hard because Seattle's got a much easier schedule and Seattle's got the tiebreaker on them. So they, the Blue Jays have to finish outright ahead of Seattle in order to get that number one wild card seed. But uh, we'll see. I, I'm glad you referenced the Pittsburgh series, though, because it, it is really important. All the games count the same in the standings. But a year ago, Everyone should remember the reasons why the Toronto Blue Jays didn't make the playoffs. The one that I've hammered home that gets overlooked the most was in late August. They had an eight-game stretch against a moribund Seattle team, Washington, who is, you know, dead in the dirt, and the Detroit freaking Tigers. And everyone remembers one play from that series, which is Marcus Simeon failing to make the out at first, which extended the yep. ball game, and, you know, the Jays end up dropping it. But they went two and six over that stretch. And it... It really bit them in the ass. This time around, it feels like they've done a much better job of taking care of those bad teams. And yeah, that Pirate series, um, again, it, it's a really good reference point because if we're trying to tie these two things together as to why they're going to end up making the playoffs this year, why we feel like they're growing up, it's that they don't feel as tight in those games against teams that they know they're supposed to beat. They haven't dropped the ball yet. And so maybe you alluded to your answer with you know what you just said about the, the pitching and the bullpen, but... I wanted to ask you what you think is the most underrated Jays story of the season. And, and I'll start it by saying this. Danny Jansen, I was looking at his numbers yesterday, and I, Shai had this in his piece that um, since August 25th, so that's 18 games, he's got splits of 377, 468, 679 with four homers, nine ribbies, and eight walks. Pretty impressive. I looked it up. He's 12th among all catchers in Fangraph's war, and that's despite only playing 59 games. And I think it gets overlooked for a couple reasons. One has been the health, and two is that everyone has been so excited by Kirk this year. He's been incredible. And then there was the Gabriel Moreno story of, hey, this guy is going to be the future at the position, and and we've sort of... um, I don't think, yeah, I think that Danny's just been a little overlooked in terms of how uh, good he is at the position. Yep. Um, I wonder if you think that's it or if there's something else that, you know, really resonates with you. I think that what the bullpen's done in the second half of the year collectively is huge. Um, you know, I think Romano just had one of his rare bad outings. He's been one of the best in baseball, obviously. And I think with Anthony Bass and Jimmy Garcia in front of him, Tim Mesa looks like Tim Mesa again. I, I think, you know, that collectively, that's been a big story. Um, and you can't say enough about what Ross Stripling has done, obviously, but that's no longer an under the radar story. Like that's clearly an above the radar. You yeah, know, no. we've all been talking. We, about we it, did but... it too much, and now it's actually got extreme to the point where people are going, "He's the Jays MVP," and I'm like, "All right, like that's just <laughs> Alec Manoa might be the most underrated story if we're doing yeah. that." Yeah, 
But I agree with you 100% on Danny Jansen. I've always been a huge Danny Jansen fan. I, I like numbers. I get numbers. I track numbers. But I think Danny Jansen brings things above and beyond the numbers that, that other people don't do. Um, I've actually got it on my list. Uh, I, I do a little note on my phone every day. Jay's to talk to, things I want to know. Danny Jansen's been here. Danny Jansen and Tim Mays have been in the organization since 2013. They both played for John Schneider in the Gulf Coast Rookie League in 2013. This is Danny's 10th year in the Blue Jays organization. And and I hope there's an 11th. I, you know, we all talk about who's going to get traded after the season. One of these three catchers is not going to be here next year. There's no way in the world, in my mind, that all three are going to be here. And I bounce back and forth. Should they trade this? Should they trade Jansen? Should they trade Kirk? Should they trade Moreno? And it depends, obviously, what you're going to get, what you need, that sort of thing. But I think I've pretty much decided the one I, I don't think they should trade is Danny Jansen. Um, I think he's too important. Um, he's been here a long time. He has the utmost respect uh, of the pitching staff. And again, I think there are a ton of intangibles that he brings. And then if you want to look at the numbers, and you quoted a couple of them, uh, something easy, OPS plus. Mm-hmm. He's at 134. That's a little, bit, a little bit better than Alejandro Kirk. Yeah. Better yeah. than Alejandro Kirk and just behind Vladdy. Now, would Danny sustain that over 450 at-bats? I don't know. But he's been unbelievably productive offensively. And, and another fun thing that I don't know if a lot of people know, we've talked about it a few times on the broadcast, if you look at whatever defensive numbers you want to look at, uh, Jansen and Kirk are first or second in Major League Baseball. Like, if you want to look at defensive runs saved, percentage of pitches in the dirt that they've blocked, Fewest pass balls and wild pitches, framing, they're up there in everything, everything. And that's, you know, we talk about defense at shortstop and center field and first base. It's easier to to kind of look at it at some other positions. But this combination they've got is really, really good. So I, I think it's going to be a fascinating winter. Not that I, you know, we don't want to skip over September or October. Hopefully there's a lot of good stuff oh, to come. You're doing but the thing you hate. That, <laughs> Why is that catcher situation going to be interesting in the offseason? Yeah, it is. Uh, and I like I didn't do it. You did it. You know, you I, did it. I didn't do it I for once. It. This is the first time. This is, a, you know, new beginnings. This is a new show. Yeah. Dan Shelvin brings up the future. And I'll be the one who goes, well, you got to live in the moment. And I'm, I'm focused on this season. I, I would never look never. beyond this season. That is something I would never, ever, ever do. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for making time for me today. Uh, I appreciate it as always. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon, man. Okay. Sounds good, J.D. Have a good one. Take care. Uh, that's Dan Shulman, voice of the Blue Jays. And, yeah, I agree with him. I, I do. As of right now, there's absolutely no way – that I'm considering trading Danny Jansen. And the reason why I brought it up and the reason why I wanted to point it out is because, yeah, it's been 59 games, but the impact he has had in them has been massive, and I feel like he's just never talked about. Moreno comes up and people lose their minds, and as they should. Moreno's exciting. I get it. I get excited about young players too. New is exciting. And who wouldn't want to see what one of the top prospects in baseball can do? But if I'm the Toronto Blue Jays and I'm looking at, hey, what am I going to move in order to acquire pieces for the win now? I, I think that it's your set at catcher. And unless you have machinations of being super patient with Moreno and having him replace Chapman at third someday, or I don't know, keeping him with the, he's, he's still my number one trade ship. That's me today, right now. 
Anyway, with that, it's time for some action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Um, boy. Uh, you can't be better than what I was yesterday. If you could win twice over, maybe I'll talk to the people at DraftKings and say, hey, if I double up on my number for the pick that I give out, do I get bonuses? I don't know how two-pick Pete did because um, it was two picks, and so I lost my focus after the one. I know, I know, Josiah Bosch, you went with the huge move of trying to get like the plus seven, I don't know, 50 bet with two touchdowns for Josh Allen. He doesn't get any of them. Um, so tough start for the lads, but you did go big Two big Pete. What was yours again? Uh, well, JD, I meant to say, Oh, you meant, okay. Reggie cool. Gilliam yeah. first TD score with Stefan Diggs. Anytime. Did, did you see that, uh, Sportsnet's very own Drew Livingston had that bet? I saw that. Yeah. yeah. He Great posted win. it. I was like, wow, he's a bills fan too. So uh, you better believe that I'll be asking him before the next game. Like, yeah. Hey, give me one of those. This is a staple with my brother and I though, is first touchdown score or next touchdown score and just picking the bums of the team. Sorry to Gilliam or Gilliam. Yeah. It's like, but if we're talking about the power rankings of Bills receivers and Not guys, you expect, yeah, you're in the bum class. You know, like you're in the this bums that that bum caught a pass on us. That's not what the other team is saying. So yeah, Gilliam, congrats, awesome hit. It was something like fifty to one, maybe more. Actually, yeah, was, I think so. Yeah, either way, it was an awesome hit. Awesome, awesome, awesome hit. Usually, if I'm watching a ball game and I go, who is that guy? It's usually some blocking white tight end where I go, oh, who's this? He caught one pass. This is will be my next touchdown bet. Some bum white tight end. Anyways, he hits that. What were your two picks? I had Dawson Knox anytime TD yeah. with Stephon Diggs anytime TD. Mm. And if you remember the first Stephon Diggs touchdown, it kind of looked like it was going to Knox. I know. Went to Diggs. And Knox got beat up in that game. Yeah. So you got a little bit of injury bad luck. So that's a toughie. And then, yeah, for you, Josiah Bosch, you... I went bold for the first day. You, <laughs> yeah. I went bold for the okay, first day. So that this is the kind of the question is: Are you guys so today? You can't even get bold because today's not about really giving a hard line pick. Okay, so to those of you that have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting on a pick, maybe I'll tweet something out later. Maybe I'll post something later. But as of right now, I just want to know the lines that stood out to you. It's Tuesday. This is the first time that you get to look. You open up DraftKings. You head down there, and you take a peek at what the actual spreads are, what the totals are. So today I want a spread or a total from any one of these games that to you looked a little bit out of place. I'll start with you, Josiah. The one that stood out to me when I was scrolling this morning and I was looking at it was the Steelers and Browns. Thursday night football Steelers plus five and a half looks very, very enticing because Mm. the Browns, the Browns looked like the better team at the beginning of the year. And then the Steelers came out, beat the Bengals. TJ Watt was incredible. Then he got hurt. And then it was, they, they hung around the Patriots, but, you know, didn't really do much. Their offense was inconsistent. And Cleveland looked like they were running away in New York. And then all of a sudden, the Jets come all the way back. Joe Flacco, the hero. So I expect this game to be very close. I think it's going to be decided by a field goal. Uh, so the Steelers to cover five and a half, I think, is free to me. And, yeah, like I said, this game's going to be decided by a field goal or, as we've seen this season, lack of a field goal. I can't wait till we do the Thursday night preview and you go, you know, 
Jacoby Brissett's been looking pretty good. No TJ Watt. Nah. Mitch <laughs> might get benched at halftime, and then we bring in a rookie quarterback behind a bad offensive line. Maybe I'm not. I, that one, that doesn't register for me. That that one's in, um, Bill Simmons used to call that the Vegas zone, the five and a half range, where they're like, ah, we don't really know what to do with this ball game. And I'm going, yeah, neither do I. Uh, two pick Pete. You just have one pick, one thing that, you, that stood up to you? Well, once again, I've decided to break the rules yeah, of okay. the uh, oh picks. I'm I like, going with I like the money you're line. Here. You know, yeah. you're, you're really trying to you know, make a thing. Yeah, and, curve uh, up my working. own space. No, it's working. Yeah. It's working. I like it. I had um, to ready, but I only said one because I knew that I was going to get made fun yeah, of. Yeah, no. He's, but here's the thing, though: is this is you can't come for two pick Pete's corner. Like that's no, his no, thing. no. I can't. <laughs> I, have to, I have to stay away. I got to make right, my two own pick thing. Petey, Let's go. Uh, JD, you're not going to like this pick. You're not going to like this pick. Falcons money line mm. plus 105 against your Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. I actually love that. I'm oh, okay. not, no, 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 no. You you mistake me for somebody else, buddy. I'm on oh, Team okay. Tank. Okay. I've said, I've, I'm very publicly forward with. The fact that I do not mind a team tanking. What I don't, what I hate is when a team is tanking for year four and the fan base is going, we're still in a rebuild and you're, you're a loser. Like you got to win at some point. You can't just lose forever and be okay with it. Um, you got to have some respect for yourself. And again, it, this is, uh, this segment is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sportsbook betting partner of the NFL. So Pete Walker, you like the Falcons. Who's the, the second pick before I make mine? Oh, that was the only pick. Okay. The, the rule breaking was uh, well. Was I did have a second pick, but that's, that's not a breaking rule. You're not. You're, okay. You lost your credit as the bad boy of the show. <laughs> you had it. You had it built oh. up, and then you played by the rules. You're like, I'm gonna be a bad boy, and then you didn't. You Keep played it by one the rules. Pick. Yeah, oh, you I kept it to one pick. Picks. Yep, you blew it. It's fine. Uh, you're now back it was to a good round pick. Yeah, Pete Walker. Okay, so um, for me, I you know what I could end up being uh, the two pick Pete Walker of of the day because so I got a couple. I just I refuse to give up on the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know that I put them in the panic power rankings, but you're on the road against the New York Jets. And as far as I know, this is still looking like either it's going to be Joe Flacco, who, yeah, he made some good passes against the Browns last week, but the Browns went to sleep. Like, come on. It was bad. And you just need this ball game. You desperately need this ball game. Bengals blow this, and it's just a... It's cataclysmic. It's horrific. I think that they're going to hear a lot of the noise. I think that Joe Burrow is going to be able to get his team up. And, and I think that they're going to be good for this ball game. I also happen to have a similar line of thinking with the Las Vegas Raiders minus two and a half. That stuck out to me against the Titans team that looked kind of like a joke. Um, don't, don't trust the Titans right now, especially given that they might have lost their quarterback. Anyways, that was time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. When we come back, Matt Castle, 14 years as a quarterback in the NFL, a guy that played with Tom Brady, was in that locker room with Tom Brady when they faced Peyton Manning. Um, is that what we're going to see moving forward here? A redux, Mahomes, Allen, Manning, Brady, 2.0. That's next on the J.D. Bunkus podcast, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So our next guest is probably so tired of people comparing other people to Tom Brady. He's just like, yeah, okay. I wonder over the course of his 14-year career and now into his broadcast career, how many times someone's been like, hey, is this like Brady? And he goes like, no, it's not. But I really do feel like this next one is. Matt Castle, 14 years in the NFL um, as a quarterback. 
Again, 10 and 6 with uh, Tom Brady's Patriots. And uh, now analyst for NBCS Boston. What's up, Matty? How we doing, man? I'm doing great, and we were 11 and 5 that year, but that's totally fine. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was a wild year, though, because you guys didn't make the playoffs, right? At 11 and 5? Yeah, we didn't make the playoffs. 11 and 5 wasn't good enough to get us in. I know. I mean, what the hell? That's why I always think it's 10 and 6, is because I can't wrap my mind around the idea that 11 and 5 doesn't make the playoffs. It should have just been automatic bid. That should be the case. Imagine this era, this era now with the extra team. A team that goes eleven and five oh, not making in. the postseason. Yeah, you're you're yeah, you might have a buy. We're definitely in. Yeah, you, the, yeah. Uh, this is a very very different NFL all of a sudden. So okay, this is the Tom Brady parallel that I wanted to make with you today. Last night, I'm watching Josh Allen and I'm watching the Bills just absolutely steamroll the Tennessee Titans. And I go, you know what I care about with this Bills team right now? I care about the postseason, and I care about when he gets the opportunity to play the Kansas City Chiefs. And the reason why I felt like Tom Brady is because that's how I felt watching those New England teams during the era of Tom versus Peyton. I don't really care what you guys do against the Miami Dolphins in week six. I wasn't really interested in those iterations of the Buffalo Bills games. I couldn't wait till it was a night game with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and every single fan in the NFL circling the calendar. Do you think that these two guys have the potential to get to that kind of stratosphere where we as NFL fans have that as the highlight of the season? A hundred percent. I mean, they're two of, if not the top one, two combo in the league right now, mm-hmm. they're definitely one, two, three in some kind of order. And so, and that, that's what I remember too. When I came in the league, like those, those battles between Brady and Peyton and I was privy to be part of that, that rivalry when I was with the new England Patriots, but this is the stratosphere in which they've, they've become right. The Josh Allen and what he's able to do and what he's done over these last three seasons and ask, and Patrick Mahomes, obviously in his career as well. And what he's accomplished winning a Super Bowl, winning an MVP. I mean, this is what, you know, football fans live for is the play of the quarterback, but also how unique and special these two guys are, the characteristics to just, I mean, their physical ability, but also how they handle and manage their own offense, the comfort level that they have. And at any point, I mean, they, they can explode on the scene and go out and, you know, take them down for a drive and, and win a ball game. But I mean, the way in which they're playing to at such a high level, it's, uh, it's just so much fun to watch these guys play the game. Yeah, and it, it's I like it too because it always felt like with not that they weren't great athletes because you know you guys are in the NFL and I do feel like now pocket passers they get treated differently like through time where you go yeah it wasn't very athletic and you go yeah he was he made the NFL he could make every throw but it felt like these two brains going head to head where with Allen and Mahomes it's just not that they don't have you know the mental side of the game figured out but that they're just these two physical freaks that they are just two of the most physically imposing players that I can ever remember um, watching the position. How, how distracting, though, was that for those Patriots teams? Because it's kind of difficult to ask you that, knowing that there's so much Patriot lore and, oh, yeah, they, no one ever cracked the Belichick cone of silence and no one ever got in their heads and there was never looking ahead to a football game. But it, it had to have happened, right? It's just, it's just human nature to care a little bit more or have a different feeling around the building when it would have been Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. It is, and you saw the intensity step up, particularly when you asked Tom. He might not let on to it, but you could tell 
there was a he would crank up the engine, baby, and then we're coming in, and there's going to be no stone left unturned. The preparation during the week, the intensity of practice, holding people accountable, getting people ready to go. But I think everybody felt that because the offensive line also knew, look, we're going up against Freeney and Mathis this week. We got to get ourselves ready to go. You know what I mean? So there was these unique unique, you know, rivalries that take place that everybody as a player knows. But, you know, you also try to stay within the moment of the season because, you know, two weeks from now you might be playing, the, you know, the Colts, but you've got to take care of business here and there. And I think that's what goes along, and that's what's also fun to watch these teams right now, the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, teams like that, is there's a confidence because of who's at the quarterback position because they feel like they're, they can win any game and they're never out of any game. And also that they're, they've got some momentum going here. And so it's just as far as the season goes, is continuing to carry that over, continuing to have consistency week in and week out, build offensively, build defensively, correct the mistakes, which are not a ton of mistakes right now. But, you know, that's you want to – you start fast, but you also want to carry that momentum into the later months, the November, the December. You don't want to hit that ebb and flow that normally happens throughout the course of the year. So – Again, trying not to be hyperbolic, but the Bills have been playing with their food and Allen has looked so incredible that it, it has felt like we're watching a better version of Cam Newton. Um, where does he rank for you among the most gifted you've ever seen play the position just from a, like a physical and talent standpoint? He's as gifted as there's ever been. I mean, yeah. you just look at him and his ability to make any throw. He's got a quick release. He, he's got great vision, but also the off-schedule plays, right? The secondary play. You saw it on the first third and nine last night, right? He takes off. Nobody's open downfield. He makes two guys miss, hurdles over another guy, picks up the first down. That's the thing that makes him such a unique game changer and what his skill set because, look, he, he can throw the ball as accurately as anybody all over the field. You saw the post route last night to Diggs. I mean, he, he's just incredibly comfortable in this system, but then at the same time, his threat, and how dangerous he is to take off, run, make big plays. And also, nobody can bring him in. There's not one guy defender that's going to come and try to sack him in the pocket and bring him down. You've got to get multiple guys on him, wrapping him up, and that's where he's so dangerous, too, is when he gets outside the pocket, he keeps his eyes downfield, and he gives those guys the ability to get open, make plays. I mean, he's just special, man. He's really special, especially because of the size of which he plays at. Yeah, um, I love the swagger, too, right? Is It almost seems like he loves contact. When he gets into it, oh, you'll see him John with big defensive linemen during games, and you're going, yeah, I don't, I don't know who, you know, you guys meet in the middle of the field, and you hit a linebacker, I don't know who's going to go down first. He's just this big, yeah. physical, imposing freak that is not afraid to get in anybody's face, and then he just, you know, backs it up with his arm, with his legs. It's just, it's, it's incredible. It's so fun. Yeah. It- it is so much fun. And the best compliment that I think you can give a quarterback, at least we feel like it's a great compliment, is this guy's not just a quarterback, right? He's a yeah. football player. Yeah, and nice. when you say that, he, he embraces the physicality of the game. And it's not one of those things where you're going to hit him and not, not feel it or hear it. He's going to let you know. He's going to also, when he runs the ball, he runs the ball with a purpose. He's not afraid of contact. And what that does is it, it not just rallies the offense, right, and gives them the utmost respect, but the defense too, right? They take on this edge like, all right, if he's going to go out there, put his body in harm's way, obviously we don't want him running out taking a lot of contact because he's our guy. But it just energizes the whole sideline. It energizes the group because they see him as the leader and he's, he's the leading force behind what they're doing right now. Yeah, he, he's truly the only quarterback where 
I don't feel I, I like I don't hold my breath when he gets hit. And I guess this is kind of the pivot point to the other guy is that's a little bit how I felt last night. Also watching Jalen hurts is holy crap. This guy just as a runner, it's yeah. The, he puts his foot in the ground, not afraid of contact, extending plays. I don't know how some of it was or how much of it last night was poor tackling on the Vikings. But if we're talking about, you know, the best athletes at the position, the guys who can do it all, he sure looked like that yesterday. Like it looked like the Vikings were playing with 10 guys on defense they looked like they had not seen film of Jalen Hurts last night. And, and what I want to ask you is, is it too early to tell um, through these first two weeks whether or not Jalen Hurts has taken a pretty major step in his career? Because if he has, it sure feels like the Eagles might be contenders, especially in a watered-down NFC. Right. I, you have to think that he has taken the, the next step. And the reason I say that, too, look, he was thrust into action under Doug Peterson's regime, he took over for Wentz, right? And it was one of those weird situations. Then all of a sudden, Nick comes in, and then we got a new head coach, a new system. Uh, Nick Sariani is what I'm saying, the new head coach, right? And so he comes in, and he's learned that system. They, they, they have some, you know, the process of growth, but you saw them grow throughout last year, start to become the identity that they are today. And now going into a second full season with Nick Sariani and also now understanding how to be a professional and a, and, and a guy that, that can play at a high level, he's got a comfort level, and you can see it. And they also understand their scheme, Miles Sanders, and who what they've got. I mean, they've got weapons up and down the board. Goddard, I love that they went out and got A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. They've got so many different weapons, and they run such a unique offensive scheme with the outside zone and really put pressure on that defensive unit and his ability to take off and run. And we saw that last night, as you said, his, his, his ability to make people miss, but also not shy away from contact and go, you saw the one touchdown run. I think it was a 38 yard run or whatever it was. It was phenomenal. Right. I mean, it was just, or I think it was a 26 yard touchdown run, but at the end of the day, I mean, that was all him, right? He took it took off, made people miss, and then at the end, he needed to bowl somebody over, take somebody on to go get in the end zone. He does. Once again, not only is his running ability has always been present, but to watch him operate and throw the ball last night, he's 26 of 31, which is not just efficient, it's excellent, right, for 333 yards. And again, they're starting to understand how to use all those weapons around him. Yeah, I, I just love watching him read the field as a runner. And, and he made some great throws last night, and those playmakers were obvious to me now, though the guys that you mentioned in terms of the upgrades from a year ago and, and what he had, um, going from, you know, Jalen Rager, who on the other side of the field, I don't think he caught a pass last night. Poor guy, though, gets booed by Eagles fans for what? <laughs> he didn't do anything. Yeah, Just, he didn't though. draft him. I know, but he didn't draft himself ahead of Justin Jefferson. Like, they took him. That was your organization. Right. They, poor Jalen Rager did absolutely nothing. Um, but, yeah, I just – his read when he is on the run – is, yeah, it's it's running back level good. Like, that's what he reminds me of, is a guy, it's, I know that almost feels like an insult when you say, like, hey, a quarterback is a running back, but no, I think he's both, because you saw him do it with the arm last night, too. So, yeah, hey, Ben, before we go, I do have to ask you about the Patriots, because they, they grab a win, but there's been a lot of hand-wringing in New England about the setbacks and about Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling this offense, and do, are you worried about a year two regression from Mac Jones? Like, like what have you seen through the first two weeks of the season when it comes to his play? Has this purely been a bit of a play calling issue, weapons? What's been happening with Mac Jones in this offense? You know, uh, you, you look at the first week of this, uh, first week against Miami, and I, I just don't think that they got off to a good start. Look, they had a promising first drive that went down. 
Unfortunately, Xavier Howard tips the ball up. It's intercepted, right, and that's all she wrote. But then there was miscommunication on the front uh, offensive line. There were some free runners. We get a strip sack for a, for a touchdown for the Dolphins, right? But the defense is playing, playing really well. But from an offensive standpoint, they weren't winning on first and second down. They were in third long situations. And so there wasn't any any consistency in how that offense was running. Now, this week they came out, and I thought they had a much better performance. At least they were moving the ball. They're sustaining drives. They're converting on third down. And I thought Mac had a good day. He didn't have a great day. There's, he had a few misses. He had the one interception. But at the end of the day, he made the plays down the stretch that he needed to. He had a scramble for a first down. He set it up with, it was, I think, second and 15. And he went through his read and progression, hit little Jordan Humphreys for, to get him to a manageable third down situation. They're able to finish with the ball in their hand. But again, Anytime you make a huge change like that and you go through a new offensive quarter, a new quarterback coach in that room, it's going to take time and it's going to take progress. I mean, it's it's a process, right? And you, who you are week one, week two is not who you're going to be week six, week seven, week eight. Because, again, the, the with a new play caller, particularly somebody that hasn't done it before like Matt Patricia, like he's learning on the go too. He's learning situational stuff. And, and while he might be the best defensive coordinator, one of the best defensive coordinators out there, he still hasn't called offensive plays and he's learning how to, you know, utilize their personnel. What skill sets are we going to go and try to try to focus on this week for a particular guy? Who are we going to, how are we going to attack this defensive unit? So again, there, there's potential there for regression, but at the same time, I'm not worried about it. I think that they're going to get it going in the right direction. The uh, team they faced last week, how much longer would you stick with Mitchell Trubisky if the results are this? Or is this a year where you look at that Steelers offensive line and say, yeah, I I don't want to play behind that. um, So why would I want to put my rookie behind that? Right. It's it's going to be very difficult because already when you're watching the game last week, which I was covering the game and you're here in the Kenny Kenny Pickett chance in the stands. And that's, that's a tough environment to when you're at home and you start hearing that, especially for Mitch Trubisky, even though I don't think this is all on Mitch Trubisky by any means. I mean, I think the Patriots defense is a good defense, but they just haven't had a lot of production. They haven't had any explosive. They haven't been getting the run game going. And as you said, the offensive line is a work in progress there for whatever reason. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's going to come a time if they continue to take this skid that they're going to put Kenny Pickett in there and see if the results are any better, if they can get more production from an offensive side of the ball. Because obviously, defensively, this is a strong unit. Offensively, they're they're still trying to figure themselves out. Uh, Matt Castle, sorry I cheated you from that win uh, with your Patriots as I started the show today. Uh, that's my bad. No, I love I- Eleven and five. Eleven and five. People forget. Eleven and five. (laughs) Uh, Matt Castle, thanks so much for making time today, buddy. This was great. Absolutely. Have a great one, man. You too. Uh, Fourteen years as an NFL quarterback. Good career, and was a guy that um, also played for the Vikings. Quarterback for the Vikings. Um, Up was with them for I think two seasons. Twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Vikings fans got to get a new plan. That's done now. I'm sorry, but that's done. This is the one thing, the biggest takeaway, and I didn't want to lead with it because it's too simplistic and it's just, it's been there, it's done, it's easy, it's low-hanging fruit, it's all those different things, but um, I'm not falling for the Kirk Cousins thing again, okay? I, I had all the analytics guys all off-season telling me about Kirk Cousins and he makes the throws and 
He completes his passes. He's a good quarterback. He's an underappreciated quarterback. There was genuine, genuine high-level media people, as Dan Hanzus calls them, the football cognoscente, who liked him for MVP this year. No. <laughs> there will be no Kirk Cousins MVP. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, primetime Kirk shows up again. He's on the one-year contract, right? Because he keeps re-upping. The, the man is, honestly, it goes Musk, Bezos, Kirk Cousins, three richest men on earth. No one has done better for themselves financially um, with their talent level than Kirk Cousins. Absolutely nobody. But just everything underneath, you know? He did have one big drop pass in that game that I do think changes the course of it slightly. Um, he had a guy downfield. He, he nailed him. The guy just drops it. But outside of that, it's just checkdowns. He's, uh, I used the word I used the word earlier, you know, yesterday when I was referencing Carson Wentz. It's just, it's so uninspiring. It's so uninspiring to watch this guy play the position. May as well not try. Exactly. Exactly, Blake Murphy. Anyway, a um, couple quick things that I think I'm going to do a lot more tomorrow. Tomorrow, way more Leafs. You know, training camp opens up. Everything's happening. Um, news that Timothy Lilligren is going to miss training camp, um, according to Chris Johnson. Sedano Chara has retired, and so has P.K. Subban, which was a lot more shocking. You know, we were all kind of waiting on the hammer to fall with Zdeno Chara. I'll say this, and I'll expand on it a little bit tomorrow, though. 25 years in the NHL for Zdeno Chara. I hated watching him for 21 of them. Hated it so much. From Ragdoll and McCabe to getting away with everything in the postseason, no greater sign of respect for both of those players. But, man, Charo, my whole life basically watching this guy just dominate my teams. Uh, this is J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe, review. Thanks for everybody that did it already. See you tomorrow.